0: Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast, a podcast where we look at different approaches to education, trying to sort out the babies in the bath waters, see what can be done if we remix some different approaches to education. I'm Rob McLeod, joined by Brendan, the well-aged O'Leary. How are you, Brendan? Fine, like a fine wine. Beautiful. Or a, f- or a fine cheese. So we're starting a new season. We've had a little break with summer holidays. This time, we are looking at the progressive approach to education. Now, if you're brand new to us, skip ahead to the last five minutes of this episode. We lay out a framework of what we mean when we talk about traditional, mainstream, and progressive education as different approaches to school. Progressive, we're saying, is the relationship in a school of the counselor and the counseled. So this is the idea where curriculums can be negotiated or co-created, and the student interest and student meaning and contribution to community uh, takes kind of precedence over, let's say, standardized testing, over tradition, over the authority of the school, of the teacher, of the institution itself. So, Brendan, you and I don't have a ton of experience with progressive education. I would characterize that I've had most experience in either mainstream with uh, kind of we've called it a, a green sheen or a progressive sheen. Like some of the things look like what we're going to talk about today, but fundamentally are being done for different reasons. So I would say I've had mostly mainstream with a hint of progressive leanings or traditional experience in the schools I've worked in. What would you chalk up your experience to be?
1: Yeah, similar. I've I would say that working in an IB school there are actual elements woven in that are close to progressive, um, but, a, but a lot of it is also informed by the mainstream. So, and I've worked in other contexts too. I worked at a summer camp for several summers that worked in in a way that's actually very similar to a lot of the aspects that we talk about in this this video that we're gonna talk about here. But yeah, my uh, most of my 20 years or so in schools has been mainstream-ish.
0: And what we're going to do today is just kind of give a summary of what jumped out to us from this Circle Schools documentary, and then in the end try to kind of summarize it or tie it all together using the eight aspects of a school that uh, we've talked about here on the podcast before. Brendan, you and your trusty notes, do you want to kick it off with a Kind of a summary of some of the main points of this circle schools documentary
1: yeah I mean first up it is uh, available on, on Vimeo if you want to um, throw a few dollars their way and watch it it's it's well worth a watch it features six schools all from the Netherlands and all have the word democratic or sociocratic in their in their title some of them are, Uh, for younger kids, primary school age, and others go all the way up to high school. And that word democratic, of course, we we know, but we'll dig into what that means in this context a little more. But the word sociocratic, so yeah, that word sociocratic was, was new to me and we'll dig into it a little more. Very interesting concept when applied to schools are very different to the mainstream and traditional uh, paradigms or, or organisational systems or you know, for philosophies. So when we start off in this video, we're looking at these six schools, um, all with names that are difficult for me to say. De, De Rumite, Democratic School, De Valle, Democratic Primary School. And like I said, there's six of them spread across the Netherlands. They go from some of the junior high schools, uh, and high schools are small, 20 or 30 kids. But uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later, to get funding in the Netherlands, you have to have more than 200 kids. So some of these actually the primary ones are actually quite big, though the video does tend to focus on the older kids. So most of it focuses on, on kids from about 14, 13, 14 upwards. Uh, they're setting the scene of how of why children would even come to the school. And by doing that, they contrast it with the mainstream school. And as is the case in in a lot of progressive education, mainstream school was not working for a lot of kids. Quite early on, we interviewed a parent who was unschooling their their child because school wasn't working for them. So um, they wanted to try an approach that was very... Uh, centered around the needs of an individual student and and the narrative here the opinion of most these uh, kids and their parents is that the mainstream school was having an ill effect on their child whether they were being uh, ostracized or they couldn't they didn't feel accepted at the school or they were bullied or it was a very stressful place Um, schools made them feel like they were not normal the other part of it was that uh, the school was kind of um, drumming out any sense of of wonder or or, or love of learning, and, and they describe the kids as having depressed, empty eyes with no questions after spending only a few months. It, it's a very uh, you know, it's a very strong opinion of mainstream school. We just spent like a year looking at the positives and negatives, and it, obviously this is. Uh, a group of people that that tried mainstream and it didn't work for them. And so they've they've moved over into this um, more progressive approach. And uh, one of the kids talks about how when he looks back at normal school, he describes it as a prison. This school, he says, you can do what you want. And we'll dig into a little bit more of that means. Obviously, this is a film and it's promoting this democratic idea. I just want to put it out here now that they are promoting this progressive education. And they don't spend too much time saying bad stuff about mainstream school. They kind of get the elephant in the room out of the way in the first few minutes. You know, mainstream school is not for everyone. Come over to this kind of uh, democratic, sociocratic system. Then they turn to a very much more positive approach of talking about the benefits of this system.
0: what was interesting to me is, We've heard this narrative a lot that a progressive student-centered approach solved the problem of a student who didn't fit either the traditional or mainstream systems that they were in. And that makes a lot of sense. One thing that was surprising, though, was that they didn't have voices, or at least they didn't choose to include them in in the documentary, of parents who just said, oh, we were just so happy to hear that this was possible, that we just jumped at this. The narrative in the documentary was more: oh, there was a problem with my child fitting in in some way to the mainstream or traditional system. This has been a you know a godsend as far as alternatives go. Versus when I think of some of the progressive schools like here in Brussels, there would just be parents who just want their kid in that to begin with because your values as an adult or as you know thinking about education align with that. and You go oh. No question. If I'm if I have the choice of putting my kid in traditional mainstream or progressive, I'm taking progressive any day of the week. Not to say that there weren't parents, families or children who did choose this school over others. But it it, it just interesting to me that that wasn't included in the narrative. I agree. And that's an interesting
1: framing of the discussion and and. It, it probably speaks to the idea that maybe the people who made this want to take it to a mainstream audience and kind of persuade them that the that, that there is a better option for anyone that's hurting in this system, rather than preaching to the converted that's all like, yeah, we know this is great. <laughs> Why are you making a video to show us that this is awesome? We already agree with you. So I do get that. Um but I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of like, no, this is just awesome. We knew from day one we wanted our kid to grow up in a in a system where they get a say in everything they do. Um, but again, I think that's more due to the audience that they're expecting than anything else, because the rest of the movie is very positive. It does but just sure doesn't really talk about mainstream or other forms of education once we get into it. One just small point that. We saw a lot at the beginning. It doesn't come back too much. Is this idea of hands-on and tactile learning? We're going to get into what the teaching and learning looks like a little bit, but um you know that was one of the ways they chose to contrast in the the very beginning of the film about how um, it's different. And I guess again, that's just a little easy rule of thumb to say, okay, well, you know, or a Montessori school, or a, or a more progressive school, which these are these are not Montessori schools, but but. Montessori schools and Steiner schools and progressive schools, they focus much more on the hands-on. And there's, it's much richer than that. There's much more to it, but it is an easy way in to say, okay, well, this works um, because it, it uh, becomes more practical and connected to life and not this abstracted thing. They move on to the idea of democratic education. They begin by talking about the ideas of how teaching and learning and education happens in the school. And interesting, they open with the idea of time, which uh, in mainstream education, especially in traditional too, but in mainstream, it, like the idea of deadlines and every lesson is calculated in units and terms. That's that's one of the biggest trigger points. It's one of the biggest uh, points that uh, really elevates stress in in the mainstream system. In that, in that drive for efficiency, that everything gets compartmentalized to put into boxes. And so they'll say, but interestingly, they talked not uh, about the freedom of time so much. They talked about how there was a flexible start and end time, but a rule had been agreed upon that everybody has to do a minimum of four hours a day, equaling 27 hours a week, which is actually more than uh, kids would normally spend in... My school for example and the doors of the school are open from eight till five so it's an interesting way to start and i kind of, i think it sets the scene because the idea of progressive education starting with freedom and freedom and choice and openness we learn very quickly through this documentary that a lot of it is is a negotiated freedom and, and a choice where discussions have happened and this clearly this agreement about time is a result of an ongoing discussion about what school uh, how long we should spend in school yeah
0: and what we've said in the past was with this progressive approach everything can be deconstructed that has come before so the things like a timetable that were just a given in traditional or mainstream deadlines that were just a given like that is what school was according to traditional mainstream there's no question it's like you have that that is part of what school is when we approach it from this progressive lens we say well those things only have to be there if they're serving the student and serving the community and serving well-being, and serving, you know, this other role. We're not trying to serve tradition. We're not trying to serve, you know, this meritocracy. We're trying to serve the student and their contribution to the community. So one of the things we can look at is timetables. And how could we reimagine that in order to serve the community? And and in this, like you're saying, it's, oh, actually, as long as you're here for four hours a day and 27 hours a week, what the rest of that looks like you're not obliged to be here outside of certain hours unless you wish to be or there's meaningful contributions but we need at least this much time with you in order to do something meaningful starting with the timetable that's almost like upending the foundation that like traditional the mainstream is built on to be kind of like oh you're not in you're not in kansas anymore
1: yeah it's sacred i mean the discussions i've had as a parent and as a, as a teacher over the years, time is just never something we can really negotiate. Of course, it's flexible to some degree, but the very notion that each individual student can be completely in control of when they arrive and when they leave and how long they stay, that just totally goes against Every every way that the mainstream progressive school have organized everything, but that leads into the next part. Okay, so when you do arrive and you've chosen when to be there, then you have to weigh up what options you have when you're actually in the school. And this was the part which I wish they'd spent a lot more time on because I'm really, really interested in how you differentiate to that degree for so many kids, you know, some of these schools were only were 40 or 50 kids. So yeah, I get that. Cause it looked like there were 20 adults there. So, you know, you've got a ratio of one to two, one to three, and we've spoken to Armin before about the, the ratios in his school and the, the very, um very high of student to teacher ratio, which allows for a huge amount of support and a huge amount of, of um, flexibility, but still, this idea fundamentally underneath it of you have the right to manage your own time and we're going to trust you and we're going to support you and again i wish they dug into the kids who find that more difficult to do because it was kind of it was kind of just said oh we do this and then it's like oh you all do it all the time and there's never any real issues although there was about later in the video where they're talking to a kid who seems like he was just not coming for some reason and they and we'll get into a little bit more how they solve that but yeah so then we kind of moved on to the idea of what teaching and learning and and quote-unquote lessons look like the idea of not being forced to do anything which you would expect in, in a progressive school that's the one thing we probably all know that you get you can more or less choose what you do But it it seemed like they still had a whole bunch of timetable lessons happening. And you could just choose which ones you were going to at any given time. And I wonder whether you could talk to mentors and teachers and have them arrange certain lessons at certain times, because the ones we saw only had three or four kids in each lesson. Um, Yeah, like I said, I wish I'd learned more about how this mentoring and this lessons work. It reminded me of when I read about Summerhill School, which is one of the first kind of independent schools in Britain. I was really surprised and a bit disappointed in that book that basically they said that you can choose whether or not you go to lessons, but if you go, they're pretty standard chalk and talk. Like a biology lesson would be the biology teacher teaching you and then giving you the textbook to work in. Uh, which was interesting because it meant like sure the structure was progressive but the actual pedagogy was still quite traditional i was trying to work out exactly what the pedagogy within these classes looked like
0: and one of the f- glimpses that we did get at this was the idea that at times some of the adults counselors teachers etc would offer something to the students offer an experience they would begin some kind of process. And if students showed interest in that, they're welcome to kind of stick around and get engaged with it. Or it was interesting, one of the adults said, or if the students see what we're doing and they have an impulse to take it and kind of come at it from a different angle, we can also do that. So I think there is, I'm assuming, in a healthy progressive school, this balance of impulse coming from the students. But at the same time, it's not like, staff and everyone just get out of the way and wait for a student impulse there also needs to be an enriched environment for those impulses to arise in and an enriched community of others where other things authentic experiences and ideas of like hey maybe you just have never seen this you don't know about this yet to have any impulses around this like let me bring about some new novel things into your experience it's sort of like yes student interest contribution are at the center but it's kind of the school's job to create a rich environment community and culture around that to kind of ensure a richness of student interest I feel like I'm rambling but you know what I mean can you say it better than no, I just said it
1: no I don't think I can say it better but I do think that the film was about the sociocratic model which is why they just briefly looked at what actual teaching and learning looks like and i get that but the glimpses we had suggested yeah there were people who maybe were called mentors that would do little projects in art and arts and crafts and some building, some making, they would entice the kids in and the kids would like help out and make suggestions. And that was one kind of form of teaching and learning. And then there were more traditional lessons. We saw something like a biology lesson. We saw something like a maths lesson. Biology lesson was kind of a hands-on almost discussion. But again, I I couldn't work out if it was following some kind of inquiry model or whether uh, it was a more taught, almost mainstream or traditional kind of model because the uh, girl doing the maths work, it looked like she was working from a workbook, which would be even in mainstream school right now, this is very frowned upon to be using workbooks. And there's a time and a place for them, but you wouldn't, it's not something you'd expect to see in a progressive child centered kind of school, um, quite how you would approach things like math and, and, and science Uh, whether it's through a scientific kind of uh, inquiry process or whether it is more abstract than that, but but you certainly wouldn't necessarily expect a taught um, lesson. So I, I kind of wondered how that pedagogy fits in with the progressive democratic model. But there was a lot of talk about how, living and learning from the world around us and having a lot of uh, rooms with different functions, like a painting room, a music room. And of course anything to do with the arts. It works in a conferring model fan. So any kind of writing literature, any, any music, any, any visual arts works very well on a model where you drop in and the teachers will help you to engage in, in a particular piece of writing or artwork and they can coach you and they can counsel you those kind of models to kind of help you to, um, kind of work out what you want to do next you know a coach would have more of an idea of what they want you to do so a more mainstream approach but a a counselor which I guess is what we're saying this kind of uh, teaching and learning would focus on the counselor would kind of like help you to work out how you would progress that model so I, I kind of got the impression that that's how they worked in the more arts kind of areas we'll get into this a lot more when we start to look at other schools and how they approach the actual uh, idea of, of teaching and learning. And there was a, there's clearly a lot of scope for people bringing ideas in and running with them. Like the kid who said, I brought some eggs in one day and it went well. So like next day I brought in some cheese or whatever. So then he basically opened up a little cafe in there. And, and, you know, that's, that's beautiful. And having schools that have the space for that, definitely is in line with that it's like the the models of progressive education that that's go from like you were saying, get out of the way like which is like the rousseau kind of model the child the child knows exactly what they need just get out of the way and whereas and that's i think a lot of people's model of uh, progressive education, and especially people who have a negative approach because it's the kids who are running around just chaotic and wild. And it's like this is showing another approach, right? They're showing the the one that's more in line with John Dewey's kind of approach of uh, you no, know, the teacher's got a function there to help that kid develop what they want to do and help them to work with others to become part of the community and part of the society. And uh, they had a smoking zone. Which was interesting. There can't be many uh, schools that have a smoking zone.
0: No. Even King Carden District Secondary School in the nineties had a had the butt zone. Really? Behind the behind the back of the bike sheds. Wasn't it? <clears throat> no, no, it was huge. It took up like a significant space of the parking lot. Really? Your school in Wigan didn't have a smoking zone?
1: An official one where
0: the kids were able to go over there and put comfy chairs in there and smoke. Okay, not comfy chairs. No, that's true. It was just okay. like sitting on metal railings.
1: I guess for 16 to 18, you know, the British system works differently, right? So if you're for the, I guess the equivalent of high school for the 16 to 18s is a little bit different. Mm. You know? But, yeah, I, I like I said, I'd like to have heard a lot more about how they do it and dig into the actual pedagogy, but that's not really why we're here. We are here for the concept of the school circles and uh, democratic or sociocratic uh, organizations.
0: This is what the the meat and the potatoes of this documentary is really about. But I think this is really important because this sociocratic organizational system, is something that's not really a match for a traditional or a mainstream functioning school. It's tough to imagine taking this sociocratic approach and implementing it in a traditional or mainstream school. So in that sense, this idea, which we'll explain in just a second if it's new to you as well, this idea is something we probably haven't seen much of because it's only really going to be a fit for a progressive school you and I don't have the data yet, but if we just go with our guts, you know, it's a single and probably a small single digit percentage of schools worldwide that are actually functioning from this progressive approach. And if they are to do so, I would imagine they require the sociocratic system of communication and organization or something pretty similar to it to make it walk its talk, I would say. If you don't have the belief
1: that the students' opinions, as well as the opinions of all staff and parents, are absolutely valid to making ongoing changes, this won't work. It'll be, at best, lip service, as we've talked about in a traditional school. If it even has a school government or parent representatives, they, they might... Um, be listened to is the best they can hope for. And then a student government in a mainstream school might have some say over some small parts. You know, we talked about events and things that were not fundamental to the running of the school. This uh, process as we'll get into is uh, saying that every single person who comes to our school has a valid opinion, and we're going to listen to you. And if your opinion is the best, if you can get everyone else to give their consent to your opinion, then we will go with your opinion regardless of who you are. And we're going to take the time it requires to do that because it is a lot
0: of time by the looks of these these clips. So, Brennan, can you walk us through... They laid out four principles. I don't know if your notes organized it quite that way, but can you walk us through what the sociocratic approach uh, is? Also, just one or two notes that I had before you do that. One quote, paraphrasing slightly from the film was, you know, the meaning of democracy is that the people vote and have a say. So if one person is making decisions for the group, then that's not real democracy. And I felt that that really hits at the core of traditional and mainstream approaches to school, because although maybe many people are listened to, as you said, at the end of the day, in traditional and mainstream schools, the people have the authority or the power to make decisions about what the school looks like, what it prioritizes, what it doesn't. Typically, that comes down to a pretty small cabal, pretty small group of folks making those decisions. And this sociocratic approach to making decisions where all voices have the opportunity to have influence over the system, that is something that's closer to a democratic, a genuine democratic approach. I guess the mainstream is kind of like representative democracy, where it's like, hey, we've got this head of school that for now we back and we have trust in and they can call the shots on our behalf, but they weren't really elected by everybody. At best, they were hired by the school board or the school or you know, some variation of an upper level of authority. Um, but this sociocratic approach, it's more the like actual direct democracy of like the no, 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 the people can go to the polls on a weekly basis and influence where this is going.
1: Yeah. And those questions about how do you even do that is what they spend most of the time really exploring. And they they set it out really well and they kind of show how it could scale up to a bigger school. I don't know if you're talking schools of thousands of students, but definitely schools of hundreds of students. So they, they show how this model can scale up. But it centers around the idea that um, there is a, a school circle, and this is a circle where representatives from other smaller discussion circles and groups within the school meet regularly to talk about motions that anybody can put forward so this is a group of and the example we had we saw had like 30 or so kids and adults uh, sitting around the table and there were motions that had been put up on um on the board that it, had it come from smaller circle groups that were specifically about other subjects. So there might be a group that was about the, the welfare of the animals in, in the environment or they are an arts group, or they had a, they talked about a gaming group. They have their discussion, they make a motion and then their representative brings that to the school circle. So they have a bunch of motions that they will essentially just like Any of the meetings that we go to, you know, ideally that motion is brought, and it's given time, and it's given, uh, uh, it's examined to see whether it actually benefits the 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 school. And so, what is interesting is that they go around the circle, and everybody has to um, give their opinion first in order. Which is, which is really interesting. It's not a back and forth debate. They talk about how a debate, which is the mainstream kind of version, is, is competitive and maybe it's aggressive and it's about you getting one over on someone else or making sure your point is heard. This very much in line with what we talk about in terms of a, a progressive kind of mindset is that everyone in the circle, we're going to take time and listen to what you say. Your opinion might change as you hear other people explain those. Once everybody in the circle has expressed their opinion, then they'll go back round and anybody who has a markedly different opinion to the one that's being proposed will try and persuade the others by once again presenting their ideas. And then essentially everyone is asked to give their consent to an idea. They talked to an example about um, how many hours a day people could play video games inside the school or screen time. Everyone gave their arguments and then they go back around the circle in order and everybody gives their consent and anybody that doesn't consent they then kind of begin the discussion and the negotiation of what would we need to change about this idea to get your consent you don't have to necessarily agree with it you don't necessarily have to support it you just have to be able to live with it and so they go back through and they get the consent of everybody in the circle uh, by tweaking the idea and negotiating the idea. And it, and eventually, uh, you know, they come out of it with a motion that is acceptable to everybody.
0: Yeah. And the way I liked that they worded that was they said, for consent, it doesn't mean that you agree or disagree. It just means you don't have any objections.
1: Yeah. And so then they have the smaller circles where they'll talk through the specifics about um there was basically any idea that you wanted to discuss and could get three or four people together to discuss could be considered a circle. It, it seemed that was the way. And then you would put forward your motions. And, and if there were things that you could not decide, they'd go to the bigger school circle idea. So it was kind of this ongoing, you know. And, and I meet with my, my colleagues in multiple versions, multiple meetings every week to have a similar idea. The idea of going around in order. And then everybody um, getting consent on an idea is several steps down the line from how pretty much every meeting I've ever been in has worked, right? Basically, you're just asked to throw your opinion in if you've got one. You're not asked to give one regardless. And uh, your consent may not be sought on everything. It might be just like, okay, well, most people, and they talk about democracy in the sense of like, whoever gets the most votes, a majority this isn't that kind of democracy. It doesn't matter if you get the most votes. It's not about winning people over with anything other than a good argument or explanation for why we should do this. And, and it's again, it's very much in line with the idea of a progressive mindset being about inclusion of everybody and trying to make a, a world or a group that uh, is... Uh, understanding and and respects what everybody in that circle needs
0: yeah, and they talked about seeing solutions for things from a variety of sources and they use the analogy of building a castle together brick by brick so like oh actually yeah well i wanted a castle but i hadn't thought of that brick that that person brought up oh yeah actually yeah i'll include that one and like piecing these things together the one thing that went through my mind just trying to imagine this for myself or for others was I'm curious if within the school there's any kind of social emotional interpersonal training for the kind of listening speaking and empathy skills that would be required for like a high functioning circle because I can imagine at times perhaps there is something you're bringing up and it's not being met with consent right away And there is that maybe defensiveness or ensuring that you are genuinely, authentically listening to someone's ideas or that you're not just going along with the thing because it's your friend. You know what I mean? Like, yes, having each person's voice and each person's consent is an important principle. But then I would be interested in like how you ensure the capacity of each person is being, I don't know what the right word is, maximized or dialed in, turned on. People are being very present in this time. I think that would dictate the quality of those discussions in the circles. And, you know, you and I have been in probably some like high stakes meetings, high stakes discussions, controversial discussions, you know, high tempers, all these sorts of things. I'd imagine at some point certain things do bubble up in these circles. And I'm ju- I'd am i just be interested to know if there is some kind of parallel social, emotional, interpersonal training that ensures the high functioning or a high quality of these circles.
1: Yeah, because everyone we saw, all of the adults all already seem to have that. Yeah. And we saw an example of them talking to a group of probably six-year-olds and trying to talk about the idea of somebody being a facilitator of the circle and you saw how they wanted everybody to sit nicely and listen which you know struck me as very much in line with traditional values but then i guess that's just the social expectation if you want to join the circle because you don't have to join any circles is my understanding Although there was a few hints that maybe actually you kind of do because they talked about Monday circles, which seemed to suggest that everybody was expected to be in those circles. So I, I did kind of, I was trying to read between the lines to say, really, like you don't have to go to any of these circles ever if you don't want to. But they did address that. They did say, basically, if you don't show up, your voice won't be heard. But they did make a, it did present as if, because this there was so much discussion of every idea it kind of seemed to have a solution for any big crisis that kind of popped up it's like all right well we you know often in a mainstream school if everything's moving so quickly and there's so many moving parts and there's not a lot of time spent on the actual discussion and really getting into the nitty-gritty the the amount that might be needed for a system so complex it seems like that this system is attempting to solve that problem it's like you know what you've got a really complex system there but it's a good system but you just need to spend a lot more time actually sitting talking and if you if, if you're the kind of person that can't deal with that you're just gonna you're gonna exclude yourself from this circles if, if you can't remain calm if you can't like spend an hour talking about these things which might seem quite min- minute to some people I just don't think you'd be at the school I think you'd get frustrated and you'd say listen this is taking too long I, I wish someone would just make a decision and so, well actually you're choosing to come here choosing to join the circle because you think this is the best way to solve this problem so Again, we didn't see the dude who's losing his shit because (laughs) because it's taking so long for everyone to make a decision because I just think that person's not there.
0: Agreed. And I think we've been throwing around this idea of circles a lot. There is one graphic that they had towards the end that I wish I had seen earlier because it helped me to kind of visualize how all these circles interact. And they sort of put like a big blue school circle in the center of this saying that you know the school circle is sort of where everything comes together and then they had kind of four smaller circles around the edge of the big school circle one being students circles which makes sense which then had several smaller student circle groups around it that would feed into the student circle teachers circle so kind of the the more direct contact with students uh circle Support staff circle, which I took to more mean like the administrative side of the school, the kind of the nuts and bolts behind the scenes stuff, ensuring that, you know, the building is running, you know, staff are there, things are organized. And then finally, the parents circle. So connecting home life and, you know, the voice of the parents and that side of things. So it's sort of like school circle in the center, which I guess is kind of where I don't know if hierarchy is correct, but it's sort of like school circle is the circle where things that impact everybody come together to be discussed. And they are sort of that school circle is fed by the student circle, teacher circle, support staff circle, and parent circle. But then, even those four the students, teachers, support staff, parents have a variety of smaller circles that are feeding into them. So it is like this real ecosystem of every voice is connected to all the others in some sort of way. And even if you're in just one of these small student circles with four people, you can bring up something within your circle that gets fed into the student circle, if necessary. And then that student circle can feed it into the whole school circle, if necessary. But there is this fluctuation of organization and communication, I guess, across the entire school system. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very simple organizational
1: structure that essentially says that you meet in a small group, a representative can take forward motions into a bigger group, and then there is a a bigger group again. And then above this there would also seem to be a group that collected a representative from each area as well as the as kind of like the highest level of making the decisions in the school but yeah it's a very simple idea based again on the idea that transformative dialogue is at the center of progressive education that uh, you know it's not just about freedom of choice it's about how we all play a part in making decisions that are meaningful everyone's listening to and it's that dialogue bringing your own perspective uh, to the to the table and then Your words and your actions can make a change, which is at the core of progressive education. It's it's the revolutionary idea that separates it from mainstream and traditional. Neither of those other paradigms are based on the idea that you as a person can, through your words and actions, transform your life and the lives of everyone else around you. That's the absolute core of this.
0: Yeah. And I'll jump ahead to one of the quotes from the very end of it, which jumped out to me and they were kind of justifying like, well, why do we need this approach to school in the world? How does it interface with the real world? And they said, so that students can go out to make a beautiful world. And that sounds really nice just hearing that. But the more that, you know, stuck with me, I was like, I've never heard an appreciation for beauty mentioned in any kind of school vision from a traditional or mainstream mainstream approach and not just this idea of beautiful world but exactly what you're saying the idea that when students leave us they can go out into the world to make a beautiful world and i'll play straw man for a second here but that idea that you can go out into the world and make the world different through your contributions, your vision, your communication, your engagement with it is quite different from the kind of generalized idea of the mainstream, which is we're going to get you ready so you can go out and get the most from the world. The mainstream version is some version of like, dude, the game's already set up. And it's a matter of how well, when you leave here, you're ready to play it. But that game's not changing.
1: And in the traditional
0: idea, this idea of how are you going to uphold your duty to live up to the expectations of the world that's out there. So traditional, hey, how are you going to live up to the expectations that are out there mainstream? How well are you going to go out there and play the game that's already in play? This idea of help students go out to make a more beautiful world, that is something that is a fundamentally different conception of why you're in school and why you're doing what you're doing in school. Yeah, and that, that brings us to um,
1: the, the notion of sociocracy and the guy Gerard Endenberg, who, I guess, um, developed this, this theory. Um, again, not based on a majority of votes, you always have a voice, you always have uh, the equity that we're looking for, Um And equality in this sense, too, is that everybody has the same equal voice, but we're aiming for equity, something that that meets the needs of everybody, even if those needs are different. This is where I start thinking about a more tokenistic student government or one that only was able to look at very specific aspects of school versus this where students can, depending on their interests and what they find important, make a change to any aspect of school, make an argument for the length of the day, the amount of things you study how you study or anything else and they come down to they call it the first principle was that it was about uh, consent making tolerance in your decision making you don't as we said you don't have to agree you just have to say i'm okay with this i can and that's a compromise i can live with which at its core is actually how the mainstream um paradigm kind of exists in the real world it's the the mainstream It's all about compromising but it isn't necessarily all about listening to every voice and looking for that equity Uh, there's parts of that in there we look at kind of the enlightenment values of 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 equality and, and listening to everyone and everyone having a voice that's where democracy kind of stemmed from this is taking it I guess, like you say, more direct democracy rather than a representative one of like, how are we going to do this? There's 12 of us sat at the table. We've got a motion or an idea. How are we going to make this? They talked about roller skating was the example they gave, you know, how am I going to live with this decision about how we allow these kids to do this particular thing in our school maybe it's like, well, I don't want people to do it at all. This kid's like, don't do it at all. And they were like, really? Like, nobody should ever be able to do it. So he kind of came around to be like, okay, I think if we find a good place for it, we find a good time. And I think the key to this is it's a simple idea, but are you prepared to spend that time listening to everybody and be able to, to, to actually respect everybody's opinion and then come to a group decision and I think one teacher kind of says well sometimes we make decisions that are uh, they're silly they're not going to work but we kind of go with them and that got me thinking of like what if the decision was dangerous or the teacher really was against it but they just wouldn't give their consent that's the thing like if I'm saying like there is no way I am giving consent to that because it is a dangerous uh, thing. And then you'd have to negotiate something. So I think those kind of things are built into the system.
0: The idea is consent is about not having objections. And if, from your perspective as a teacher, if one of the important things is student safety and well being, it's like, no, no, dirt bikes in the school, at this school, not going to happen for a variety of reasons. If, yeah, you just simply, I guess, withhold your consent because you still hold objections that have not been met. And yeah, it might be 11 against one, but it's not the majority that wins. It's who is able to attain consent for this. And I guess that's just where there's a disharmony and there's a lot more work that needs to go on until you find a solution, build a castle altogether that does work for everybody. And that that kind of
1: gets you into, like, you've got to be able to enter that circle knowing that you will need to compromise and you will need to give your consent. And I do wonder whether it's like, okay, then. I didn't see any of that. And I'm, I'm guessing that by the time you've decided to be part of this community and gone through that multiple times, that it's like, well, there's no point in me, like, grudgingly giving my consent. I have to be okay with it you know it's not this kind of toxic version of consent where it's like oh go on then if you if you must it's like no it's like okay i i can live with that i can live with that kind of that idea but there's definitely still kind of some frustrations again i was reading through one kid tried to grab the mic off the other and the kid turned and gave him a dirty look but i guess that's where the facilitator comes in and they're like okay we've made our agreements you don't grab the mic off someone, you don't shout over people. So, and that's, again, progressive education gets straw manned a lot to be like, oh, it is chaotic here. It is like everybody can do what they want, but that doesn't seem like a healthy version of progressive education. Whereas they're presenting here, it's it's, freedom comes with the responsibility. You want to be able to make those choices. You kind of got to be able to be responsible along with all of us for those choices
0: yeah and it's built off of the what we would say are the previous two stages like there's still duty like traditional brings up duty well there's definitely duties and roles and expectations in these circles and as well yeah that achievement that idea of goals all these sorts of things they're not just getting together the to chat. It's like, no, no, we need to plan and like execute these things and do things effectively and efficiently. Like, you know, I think the best progressive education is built off of the babies of traditional and mainstream and then like expands upon them. Doesn't just throw out everything. Ah, yeah, it's a circle. And like, there's no rules, no duties, responsibility, quite the opposite. There's a lot of rules and agreements in place here. And it's not about just, ah, we don't really do anything. It's like, no, no, you're doing a lot of stuff here. In fact, it sounds like you're doing more stuff than most mainstream schools are like asking of their people to be doing throughout a typical year. It's a very active place. It's not passive at all. So yeah, the straw man idea that progressive is just do whatever you want and there's no rules. Yeah, that exists out there for sure. But if we're looking for what high functioning progressive is, we're likely not to find it there. We're likely more to find it in an environment or system like this so yes yeah, so we see these circles happening in multiple ways and the idea that dialogue
1: can help us to clarify our ideas and then we act on the ideas and everyone gets their say and we, we gain consent and this is uh you know a, more, a wiser way to approach uh, how we make our decisions even though it takes a long time but this is more sustainable. This is what the, a- Endenberg talked about, the sustainability of this kind of process. And it, if a decision is made and you don't like it, then there's always the next circle you can come back and argue it. And sure, is oh, well, we're just gonna go back and forth forever, but isn't that just a sign that we haven't reached a consensus yet? And isn't this about reaching a consensus? Or, or you know, getting everybody at least being able to live. With the idea was like they talked about the gamers, like the kids who were playing the games, and none of them turned up for the circle. And so they got like video games were banned. They got up in, in outrage, and you can see like so, so the gaming circle met, and they're like, "We well, got to go back to the main circle and, and and unban video games." And so they had to go and make their case and say, "Yeah, there's a point for this. There's a case for this," and they were listened to. It and it looks like they reached some kind of agreement that was uh, okay for everyone. And, and it was interesting because it, it came from a, a child who felt their friends were playing video games so much they weren't playing with them outside. They, they couldn't find anyone to play with because they were all off playing video games. And so she brought this motion to ban video games. It was really interesting view of how that that that, um, that kind of process works. But one of the uh, one of the interesting kind of I guess side circles was this conflict mediation circle which is not part of the main organization but I guess anytime you have a conflict and this is very much in line with um, with a lot of kind of group counseling ideas or group decision making ideas and the non-violent communication Rosenberg stuff of uh, you're not there's no shame in it you're sitting there and everybody's sitting in the table and sitting around the table including the people who are harmed and the people who are kind of involved in it and then some kind of neutral mediators and basically everyone gets their chance to say what happened and then how they might suggest moving forward I'll let let you respond to that. But the idea, the other idea about punishment comes up quickly, which is a really interesting one.
0: In some cases, there's time where students need some time to help figure out how you will solve this. And forget the exact wording, but they said something like, you know, when a student has a problem and it's created some kind of challenge, whether it's for safety or emotional well-being or social well-being, this sort of thing. Like if you did something wrong, you need to speak with others about what was wrong and what was not wrong so this idea of like teasing apart the complexity of the situation and then the idea that if you don't know how to solve this on your own then there are others there you'll be provided time and they will help you to figure out how to solve this so that idea of like a solutions-based focus it's not just punishment it's not just you know you're punished for the bad thing you did but no Moving forward, how do we make this right again? How do you build, rebuild the damaged
1: relationships and, and rebuild trust? And um, I'd say we talked about, you know, this, the school that I worked in, in which elements were more mainstream, more progressive. I definitely say over well, the last few years, the school has tried to really go down that line of um, a restorative practices when kids have a conflict. Yeah, if you can solve it yourself, fine, great. And that's the same here. They would say, you don't just have a circle every time somebody says something you don't like, you know, you have a, you, you, you try your best to, to fix this problem by yourself and it's, and, and it's not a punishment based. It's not about me trying to hurt you as much or more than, than you hurt me. It's about, okay, this is this, I've been hurt and I, I want to restore our relationship. Um, And so that the, the one of the girls said, I've never seen anyone be punished, but it works. Talking is a better way to learn what you did wrong. And I just thought, like traditional, absolutely not mainstream. They might be open to that idea to some extent, but still mostly not. Um I think that's a huge, huge difference in progressive, the idea that it's not about punishment. It's not about justice in that sense of uh, retribution or something like revenge or anything like that. It's, it is about restoring that broken trust and that that broken relationship. So I think we'll get back into this idea of a conflict resolution that isn't based around punishment or shame or or scaring people into not doing it but rather about a an approach that that uh, is based on the idea of you you respecting the people around you as a starting point and you've done something that means that you no longer have the respect the mutual respect and you you want to rebuild that so even on that core level that's different from maybe how a traditional or mainstream might even believe relationships are built, but I think that's for another time, but the, the idea of not punishing people for things they've done wrong, Whew. talk about revolutionary, it's the kind of thing that might get you um, in a lot of trouble, but uh, seem to work, at least in the perspective of these, um, these documentarians in
0: these schools. So there are two more principles, one being the, there are still elections here, the sociocratic elections, because there are certain roles and duties that do need to be carried out by people on an ongoing basis. So uh, what I found interesting was the voting was done publicly and with justification. And similar to what you were talking about earlier, the idea of everyone shares an order in the circle. And then your opinion can be actually influenced or changed by hearing what others say. That's a really interesting and transparent and possibly even like vulnerable way of doing this. So voting done publicly with justification and this idea of having the power to inform the ideas of others. So you might show up being like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm nominating Brendan, you know, for chair because he's organized and he thinks thorough and, you know he uh wants to find the wisdom and everything but then it goes around the circle oh no actually lenny would be the guy for this role mm. like now that i've heard this i found that to be an interesting idea of that's how you get into one of these these central roles i think that again pulls back
1: the the kind of curtain a little bit about how traditional and mainstream kind of view because you know often i'm talking to traditional parents or or kids, and they're a little scared sometimes of saying something or doing something because somebody else might uh, take offense and do something bad back to them. But as we talked about in the last point, if you said something to offend somebody in this circle, they would talk to you about it. And if it was a big thing, you would have a circle to kind of rebuild that trust. So the fact is that what's the worst that could happen? And I said, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to vote for, I'm going to go for Bob over there, and I'm not going to vote for Rob. And they didn't seem to talk about why you wouldn't vote for somebody else, which seems smart to just focus on why you would vote for somebody. So I'm going to vote for this person because they are organized. Okay, well, that does maybe suggest that my buddy Rob isn't i don't think he's organized enough and uh, but if you took offense at that you know in this progressive sociocratic system you wouldn't then be looking scheming for ways to take me down (laughs) you would probably say you know what (laughs) that that kind of hurt me because i thought you were you respected me more and we could maybe have that discussion Uh, again does that work does every single human in that school operate in that way one would hope. I mean, these are learned like actions. We, we As humans, we could learn to hide our, our feelings and our ideas, or we could learn to bring them out and be a bit more vulnerable. But if you're in a safe place, and they talked a lot about safety, and they mean emotional safety, right? If you're in a safe place, then it's not really the same level of vulnerability. I'm sharing my honest emotions, but I know they're going to be accepted. So that's a good thing. But like, if I just walked in and said tomorrow in a traditional or mainstream, go, okay, we're doing it this way from now on. It's like, no, you can't just change one thing. We can't all just start doing circles and start. Let's just be, let's just be as honest as we want to, as, as we can. And, uh, I'm sure you've seen endless TV shows and movies where someone suddenly decides they're being honest and all of the chaos that ensues. There's a great episode episode of The Office where Pam decides she's going to tell the truth as she tells her her fiancé how she really feels, and it does not go well. And uh, I think that was what struck her mind of, like, there's a time and a place to tell the truth. And what they've done here in this system, in this model, is build a model where you can tell the truth. You can be open. um, But that only works because everything else is geared towards that.
0: And finally, principle number four, this idea of double links. We've kind of touched on this already, but the idea that every age group has a circle. And I guess you'd say, like, vertically, from what I understood in the video... Um, these overlap where like an older student has contact with one of the younger group circles and or a parent group has contact with someone else. So it's not, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the part I felt the least clear on. But the idea was that no circle is alone in isolation. There's some kind of connection or feedback loop with like another age group or another circle that you're not just, left in isolation how would you characterize this part brennan
1: so what i I think it was is so so they had these monday monday circles which was again i think everyone in the class was expected to attend and there was like 10 or 20 kids in there from that two people would go into the kind of learning circle so it looks like in this school there's five classes there's five grades or five groups of kids each of those would send two people into the learning circle. Um, I think one person is the facilitator, and I think one is is voted as a representative. Uh, and I don't know if they make the def- decision every single time or whether there's an ongoing representative. Those two would then go into the next circle up. So they are, th- there's two people linking the smaller circle to the big circle. And so... And then the same thing would happen from the learning circle. The two of those would go into the school circle. So then every circle has at least two people going up to the next one. I think that's what they mean by double links. And I'm looking here at the picture and there's two photographs. They're, they're kind of visual. For each of the Monday circles, there's two photographs of these people that are going to go into the big one and then, and so on. And, um, it's an interesting way and I guess that, that that just means that you're not just relying on one person's uh, feedback or their r- reportage. It's like, okay, we're gonna get at least two people who tell us what uh, what happened and, and and take our opinions forward. Um, I guess that's how they uh, ensure or promote this idea that uh, everyone's ideas will go up to the next level if necessary.
0: Is this like real? democracy like at the local level and this idea of like if we have kind of local provincial federal divisions of like how your life is organized it's like oh on the local level especially at least within the context of the school you're in this is an incredible amount of influence that we're having on what the local day-to-day lived experience looks like um so yeah just even this idea of like this is I think a evolution of a subsection of what democracy's potential is. This is interesting to watch.
1: Yeah. So I think that the, like the way this would look, if it was transported into a local or national system was that every, actually it would look kind of on some levels, like it did in real traditional villages. Uh, But it's, it's, there's a different underlying fundamental principle in in some ways, or a different organizational structure. Small groups that were small enough for everyone to have their opinions heard would meet. So maybe the people in my building would all meet. There's a hundred of us, so we would all meet, or even less. And then we would ask, we would put our motions forward, and anything we couldn't solve internally, two of our people would go up to the next group. That would be a local then two of those would go up. And I mean, that is actually how our democracy works. And the American system is a a prime example of that. You do go up and up and up and up and vote until eventually your two senators are, are up there. But I think the difference is there isn't anywhere near as much time spent on that discussion as would be necessary. So even if we do believe in those meetings, Everybody's voice can and should be heard. Like, we don't spend the time to allow for that to happen. So, if you think of something like a town hall meeting where there's 300 people there and they all get to shout or put their hands up or shout, there's like, how would that look different if it was just a big circle and every single person had to like share their ideas? And basically, if you weren't prepared to come and sit in that circle, then your idea doesn't get heard. You have to then, as a group, be prepared to spend the amount of time in, in these circles um talking through things and working through things that idea again that progressive idea of, of dialogue at being the center of how change happens then our democracy will look very different we'd be spending far far more hours sitting down discussing all of our issues but then more of our voices will be heard Is it practical on any group of people bigger than 50? I mean, that is a big question. Is there a way that this could scale up? But if we are talking about schools of 50, 100, 200 people, yeah, they made a very strong case that this is a way for decisions to be made that um, allow everyone's voice to be heard and everyone to at least be okay with what is happening
0: thank you very much brennan for your summarizing and analysis along the way of the main topics i'll see if we can connect all this back to our eight aspects of school so we talk about like the you know every school at its core when we say what is a school really we're talking about these eight things it's systems environments resources activities culture communities and then the reactions of the individuals and the beliefs of the individuals so if we kind of tried to like summarize and boil everything down to these i would say if we're looking at the systems first we're looking at things like those time requirements the timetable is negotiable but we've you know got that idea of four hours a day 27 in the week you can develop your own timetable there's a very different setup of staff support So this overlaps with the communities, but, you know, we've got this idea of mentors, teachers, counselors, you know, the roles within the circles, and as well, just as we've been discussing, this sociocratic approach to organizing the school. This is something completely different, and as we've said, likely would not interface well with a traditional or mainstream approach. The environments, I would say from what I saw, aside from the, you know, sort of more natural looking hands-on types of activities in the class. The actual environments didn't look that different than a traditional or mainstream school environment. They had, you know, music rooms, art room, spaces, these sorts of things. I'd say there are no shocking differences in terms of environment here. Resources as well, more or less the same as traditional or mainstream schools. If you just took everything out of their shelves and put it on a table, and then took everything out of the shelves from a traditional mainstream school, the resources look more or less the same. And, you know, the resources are there for the sake of student choice. So, yes, maybe textbooks are, you know, required here or some e-resources. But at the same time, the people also have some different roles and different functions. So the actual peoples, the human resources are used slightly differently here. Activities seem to be a combination of offered Inspirations or self chosen. There were also service roles, and we didn't discuss that a lot. And it wasn't really covered, but at one point we noticed there was the one boy digging the pit with the other students. And it said that this older student was a student and gym teacher. So I'm curious about what some of those service roles might look like of some of the older students uh, here. Um, as well, just the activities, as we mentioned very early on, it looks like a lot more of this is hands on. Kinesthetic, not abstractions, um, a lot more tactile kind of learning. Culture. So, if you think of the idea of what do we allow in the culture, appears to put a priority on respect, listening, and this idea of consent. Communities, the things that are unique here, this idea of the circles, the overlapping circles, and definitely the set of relationships. So, this isn't a school where you've got the principal, vice principal, and your teachers and maybe a guidance counselor here we've got mentors teachers counselors who are there to help you so i think mentors is basically how to help you navigate what you're doing within school and then the counselors were to help you navigate like yourself and the things you are finding challenges with and as well this idea of the mixed aged classrooms that uh there could be a wider variety of ages abilities and interest levels within a classroom and then finally, the idea of the beliefs and reactions of the individuals. You know, the beliefs that you have in here are: I can change things. All voices matter, and this idea of reactions. Um, that essentially any reaction is kind of like fair game. There's nothing that's really off limits here. You can bring who you are in its totality to the system, and there's space for that. But there are also approaches for that. That if you know if your reactions to things are damaging. There is a kind of immune system within the school of how to address those reactions and and how to deal with them. But again, the reactions can also be creative. And if you know if you see things that don't align with the way you think the community should be functioning, there is a space for your voice, your reaction, your interpretation on things, and you can bring that forth. Yeah, absolutely. So I think
1: if you are wandering in there from the outside, this building itself looks... As, as i'd expect in a school maybe a little bit more green but you know it's it's a nice uh it's a nice standard school building the people there i can see teachers i can see students the resources they've got a music room okay so far everything looks as i'd expect from a mainstream or even a traditional then you get into it and it's like okay the culture and especially the system if they're in alignment they are fundamentally different and then because of the way it's structured, your individual beliefs and reactions are given way more credence in this system than they would be in others. And so, yeah, some real deep fundamental differences that – and there's a good place for us to start digging into the progressive because, yeah, we do want to look at those schools that offer, that focus more on the pedagogical freedom and the, the ability for students to actually, um, which these schools maybe we just didn't get a lot of time to see that. But this was a really interesting way to uh, get beyond that kind of straw man of the, the progressive schools, a uh, uh, place of anarchy or a place where it's just everyone's free to do what they want. but. This makes the case that actually this is a very sustainable and curing uh, system, which is certainly not easier than, than the others, but they make the case that this works better for the uh, hearts and minds and lives of everybody involved.
0: Yeah, and we often have added to that idea of progressive education is about the students' interests desires, meaning, but then we always tag onto that in relationship to the group. And I think that's what we really see in this documentary is, yes, what you're interested in matters pedagogically, socially, as far as the organization of the school, but what you're bringing up doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in this meshed network of everything around you, and you can bring up what matters to you and it can influence the world around you, but that community and the others around you also are there and we need to find some kind of harmony, some kind of consent between you as an individual and you as an individual within a community. Yeah, so
1: lots of babies, lots of good things there. There's obviously, as we dig more into it, the bathwater, the the drawbacks because it comes at a cost there's a reason why mainstream and traditional schools don't do this and it's not just because um they just they're just not good enough they just like to put everyone in a prison they don't care that's that as we've learned they care deeply all of these systems care deeply about learning and about morality and about friendship and uh, creativity but they have a very different approach and set of beliefs so looking forward to digging into the progressive school over the next uh, decade or so and uh, <laughs> all
0: right shall we call it there robert let's call it a day thanks brennan thanks rob bye and now time for the reinventing education three types of school in a nutshell If you're new to us, hopefully this is a helpful guide to navigate some of the terminology we use on our podcast. All right, so every school and every educator is in a tug of war, and we're pulled in three different directions. Each of the three directions has its own definitions about what makes for a good education. But this tug of war is difficult to notice, because the three directions to education each use the same vocabulary. But each of the three directions has their own definitions for what that vocabulary means. So let's characterize these three approaches with the following names. Traditional, Mainstream, and Progressive. And let's connect each to its relationship between a student and teacher. So traditional uses a master and apprentice model. Mainstream uses coach and athlete model. And progressive uses a counselor and counseled model. Now, these three approaches to education would agree on the surface that education has the same three aims. Those three aims of education are for occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, each of the three approaches to school—traditional, mainstream, and progressive—has completely different ideas about what occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, and self-development requires. So how does each of the three approaches to education meet the three aims of school? Well, with traditional master and apprentice, we see that the teacher is an expert and knows the one best way for students to achieve academic success and meet the three aims. In the mainstream, the Olympic coach and athlete model, the teacher works to assess and create each student's individual optimal way, balancing the effectiveness and efficiency to achieve maximum academic success in relationship to the curriculum, to meet those three aims. And finally, the progressive, the counselor and counseled. The teacher and student negotiate the student's path to achieve their goals for academic success to meet the three aims. Each teacher will have a preference towards one approach, while the school itself may have an overall consensus, and this is where you'll find the tug of war. These three approaches not only define how an education is conducted in the classroom, but it also informs three different directions in terms of a school's organization, its culture, and its practices. The traditional master and apprentice requires a clear pyramid of authority, prioritizing security along with duty and tradition, putting trust in those in authority to uphold their duty for the integrity of the system. The mainstream coach and athlete uses a flowchart with a mobility for all which serves as a flexible meritocracy of authority prioritizing achievement along with measurable progress and transparency towards meeting specific goals, putting the results of those in authority as important for the integrity of the system. And finally, Progressive Counselor and Counseled uses horizontal leadership like a circle prioritizing inclusion along with individuals' needs for meaning and empowerment, putting the personal and group significance as important for the integrity of the system. We often see tugs of war between how to organize the overall structure, either reinforcing the pyramid, a flowchart, or a circle. Each of these three types of school can be done well, somewhat effectively, or poorly, and each can suit a specific context better than the rest. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it's better for a school to choose the type of school that best suits its students, staff, and community context, and do it to be high-functioning. Otherwise, the ongoing tug-of-war between the three approaches comes at the expense of time, resources, passion, and relationships, while not even ensuring that any of the three approaches is done well. Here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring the idea of the next type of school— A post-progressive approach to education that prioritizes the integration of these three previous types of school. Why? Well, an integration approach would seek a flexible and adaptive balance of the three previous approaches as an adaptive approach to inquire into and provide what is deemed a best fit for students, community, and the system in a given context to best meet those three educational aims of occupational preparation the cultivation of citizenship and self development as defined by those involved. The integration value attempts to maximize the gifts when appropriate of each approach to education while discerning how to minimize unnecessary drawbacks that are required when in wholly investing in doing one approach. In order to integrate the gifts of the three previous types of school, we need to know what we have to work with. So, on our podcast, we're digging deep into these three types of school. And trying to tease apart the babies and the bathwaters of each one.